Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Now this morning you need to get your Bibles, phones, pads, paper, pencils, cameras, a ton of scripture. It's one of those days. Uh, Hopefully it'll be more teaching than preaching. I'm still trying to figure out what the difference between that is after 40 years. But um, this morning is an important thing we're going to move toward. I so desperately wanted to return to the teaching from last week because I taught on we are an act of purpose on purpose, no matter what our circumstances may tell us. And I think God just renewed us and refreshed our spirits, not just during the heat of summer, but in the heat of life. And, but next week, I'm going to pick up on that because, um, and, and let me whet your appetite for it, all right? Uh, you need about 60 seconds. Amanda, the verse of scripture, I think, is Acts 27. I think it's verse 13. If it's not, then I'll, we'll, I'll just, I'll quote it from wherever it's from. Acts 27, verse 13. On Monday night, while she's finding that, on Monday night, our presiding bishop, general overseer, Dr. Tim Hill, uh, typically, and uh, the the general overseer will give a sort of state of the church in terms of our denomination uh, message. And boy, uh, I I laughed because he did exactly what I did last week. He stood with his outline and he said, I have this sermon, it's already loaded in the teleprompter, it's got on the cues, on the on the presentation software, and he said, I just cannot go there. It's not what God has me to preach. And so he called one of the assistant general overseers. He said, would you come take this out of my hand, please, so I'm not tempted by it. And I was laughing, having been in a similar situation the previous Sunday. And when he launched into this, it's the story of Paul. Matter of fact, get ready for this next week. Write down what I'm about to tell you. Do what I'm asking you. Uh, Wherever there's a small group meeting, Consider making Acts 27 a part of your reflection. This week, Acts 27, read it. It's the story of Paul being shipwrecked. And uh, go and read it. But in Acts 27, verse 13, watch this. It said, when a moderate south wind came up, comma, supposing they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and took off. Now, what's going to happen, and leave it right there, Amanda, is in the next verse, you're going to see, and instantly came this huge, horrible, uh, storm of the century, if you will. I made that up. It's not what it says. But notice that language. When we read from Isaiah, uh, Romans eight twenty eight last week, and we know that God causes all things to work together for my good according to his, those are called according to his purpose. And we talked about that word purpose. It's that identical word right here. And what I want to talk about next week is during life when we make those decisions that, Father, I've, I've figured out my purpose Did you know that very often on the end of that declaration, you listen to me, of saying, Father, I've settled on my purpose, very often it'll be followed by a storm that would absolutely seek to destroy the ship of faith that you're on. Beloved, we're going to look at that scripture next week because we're going to learn how to survive the storm that comes to destroy your purpose. And the good news is it cannot. Enough about that. I ask you to let me give you a uh, a trailer, uh, a commercial about next week. So I've, I've done that, and now we're going to get right to this. And what we're talking about this morning is, oh, in just a few weeks, we will launch 
a, uh, a small group initiative. Now, very rarely in our small groups do we do a single thing that's shared across the landscape of the church. Typically, we have what's called free market cell groups, and that is small groups. People get together around any cause, from a study of the book of the Bible uh, to flower arranging or fly fish tying. You say, well, no, that's not spiritual. It is. Let me tell you why. Because we use it as an excuse to get believers together. Because here's what I know. If you can get two believers together in the same room talking about anything, and by the way, pretty much there's more to it than this, but all we request of a small group leader is no matter what you're talking about, that by the time you sort of come to the end of that gathering, that you turn and say, Let's, let, tell me what's going on in your life. What can we pray about? You see, if you can get believers together, the spirit of God in us, this, what I'm about to, to describe is the biblical term koinonia, fellowship. Oh, I don't know. Uh, David, probably before you were born, I read the definition of koinonia from someone, and it says, it is the intrinsic residency of the Holy Spirit in each believer, picture one on either side, magnetically drawing us to one another. So here's what I know. When I get two believers together in the same room, we know this, that the Holy Spirit in each of us are going to begin to pull us together, is going to begin to console and comfort and do what the Holy Spirit does. But in this particular session, we're going to do a shared emphasis called cleansing stream. It's just the most amazing study, and I'm going to sort of prep you for it, and this is one of the teachings. I won't be coming back and doing all the teachings. I'm just doing this one because it's one of the big ones for me. And one of the things that's dealt with in, in cleansing stream is this. We, we refer to it often as generational curses. And here's the thing, that believers will come to know about that, even if they've never read about it in Scripture, because we've become to be convinced of it uh, through the mechanisms of the behavioral sciences, okay? Now, what I'm talking about is the number of times in Scripture, and it begins with what we, the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. When God begins and he says, you shall, you shall worship the, the Lord alone, and then right at the end of that opening statement about having no other images or, or not violating the name of God, he says, here's the qualification. But if you do this, you need to know that the sins of the fathers will be visited upon the third, second, third, fourth generation. Now, we've taken that, and I hear it so often and I, through the years, and it bugged me early on. It bugged me 30 years ago because I began thinking about all that that meant. So we're going to look at what Scripture has to say about that. Would you do, a do me a favor right now? This one more time of lifting up a holy hand. Hang on. When we lift up holy hands, it's an act of agreement between two worlds more than anything else an act of agreement between us here and the throne of God there. We study it in Scripture. It's not Pentecostal. It's not charismatic. Even when we sing songs, we're saying, Father, uh, we were singing, matter of fact, um, uh, my God is more than enough. People have their hand raised. They're making a declaration of appropriating that promise right here. That's why we lift our hands. So would you keep your eyes open, we're about to pray, but would you lift up a holy hand of oath and covenant as we make binding on earth what has been made binding in the heavenlies. And Father, it's this prayer this morning. May the word spoken before the foundation of the world come to life in this room, animate 
Father, our sense of unrealized expression of your power, heal and redeem and restore the broken places in our life that comes by your word. Father, we have an open hand extended towards heaven, and here's what we know. When our hand is open towards heaven, your word says you open yours and you reach back. We so desperately need what's in your hand more than what we're releasing from our own. May that happen here in this room today by reason of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's look to Scripture. One of the most recurring questions I get from believers throughout the years is this. Am I cursed with a curse? because of the things done by my parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents. Now, you're gonna, again, this is a teaching session. I want you to think more like there's eight or ten of you around a table in my uh, dining room or, or house there sitting around the little kitchen area where I have so many gatherings of people. I want you to get that vibe because that's what it is about. I want you to pay close attention. It's one of those study moments. You can grab the sh- snapshots. And once again, by the way, some of you sent me a request for the link last week. I didn't miss that. I've just been going crazy. I will get that to you, the link from the teaching that I referenced. There were three or four of you that emailed me. In like fashion, if you'd like this listing of Scripture and whatnot, I'll be glad to send it to you uh, or put it on the church app. Either way, you'll get it, all right? But let's start at the very beginning and see what God has to say about this. Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. Here we go. As I told you, lots of scripture. You shall not worship them or serve them. Now, these are idols, okay? For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children. And by the way, when it, there's a difference between jealous and envious. Jealous is wanting what I have for myself. Envious is wanting what somebody else has for, them, for yourself. God is saying, you're my children, How many know there's not a parent here, not a mother or a father, who isn't jealous for the love of their child? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Come on. There's not a spouse that that doesn't want to be first in line for the love of their spouse. We're wired to be that way. And in like fashion, God simply declares that. You are that precious to me, okay? So it isn't though as God God has a, a, a personal development problem, okay? He says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing loving kindness, that's the word mercy, I love that, to thousands, to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. In like fashion, that's Exodus 20. Let's fast forward to Exodus 34. Then the Lord God, this is God passing by Moses after he makes a request, Moses makes a request of God to show his glory, and he's seen that, and now this is another moment just in the next chapter. Then the Lord passed by in front of him, him is Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, watch all these qualifiers, abounding in mercy and truth, loving kindness, who keeps loving kindness for the thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. I know questions that are in your mind right now. You're saying, dude, it's right there. Indulge me. Let's go on again. Numbers 14. And you need to really read scripture and find out the context and the setting for each of these declarations. This one comes after a group of mumblers and grumblers. Uh, They've been brought to the edge of taking possession of the land of promise, yet they're so driven by fear 
of the giants in the land that they grumble before God. And it's in that context that here it goes, Numbers 14, 18, it says, the Lord is slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity uh, and transgression, but he will know by means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations. Wow, there it is again. Numbers 14, 33, um, uh, excuse me. Uh, by the way, I'm going to skip by that because uh, just let's pass that. In fact, things did happen to them, but God still, in other words, what their fathers did, they would wander in the wilderness 40 years for, but those, those children did get to enter the land of promise. And that's the first place that you begin to say, okay, well, wait a minute. So this whole curse thing is not forever set in stone. And, and we, that's what I want us to grab here today, and it's where we've headed, because there's so much teaching, it abounds. Uh, you can go out online and do the uh, cursed uh, to the third and fourth generation, and you're going to find all this teaching, and I just want to say, it's rare that I make the statement I'm about to, to make. I just don't agree with it on the basis of Scripture, and I hope to show that to you today. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 5, Deuteronomy 5, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is like the closing three sermons of Moses' life where he's declaring the history, the landscape, all that's happened with God speaking to a promised people, bringing them out of Egypt, walking with them through the wilderness, and now on the precipice of entering and taking possession of the promised land. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. Moses himself did not get to enter but Joshua, the one who was anointed to pick up the mantle and lead, did lead them in. But here we go. You shall not worship them. He repeats again from, the, from what we know to be the Ten Commandments. Worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations to those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands from those who love me, uh, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now... Here's the deal. By the time you get to, I left it off. There's a passage from Deuteronomy 34. Let me see if I can, hang on, give me one second. Because at the end, give me one, do we have that, uh, Amanda? The, the Deuteronomy 34 passage, or 30. Deuteronomy 30, there it is. Join, watch this, okay? This ended in the wrong place, but. Uh, I call, this is same Moses, remember, this is his third sermon. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and the curse. Watch that. So choose life in order that you may be, live you and your descendants by loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for this is your life and length of your days. Now, I want to do a rewind. Let me find it real quick. I want to do a rewind back to Deuteronomy 5. Everybody say Deuteronomy 5. It's in Deuteronomy 5 that he says the sins of the fathers will be visited upon the third and fourth generation. But by the time he gets to Deuteronomy 30, he's preaching about and to a generation that has outlived fathers who have sinned and now have died over the course of 40 years. And there's this key word. Please listen to me. Choose this day. Here's the first place years ago as I was reading through scripture that presented me with a, a conundrum. How can God 
say that you're going to be cursed, ever fixed, set in stone on the basis of what your grandfather or your father did or some family member because that addiction, brokenness, hurt, pain is carried on the gene pool. Did you know some of that is true? Did you know that? But here's the wonder of becoming a follower of God, the child of the Most High, that there's nothing set in motion. When Moses steps up at the end, he says, choose this day. Beloved, how many know if God has set something in stone that is fixed and immovable, we can choose all we want, but it don't do no good. Everybody get what I'm talking about? If God has forever fixed it and set it in motion, and all you can do is say, well, you know, my granddad was a, a crud ball and my dad was a crud ball and my family's been a family of crud balls, so I'm destined to be a crud ball. That is not true. God's word says, choose this day. Would you look at somebody and say, God has given you the power of choice. Come on, tell them. By the way, this is not in my notes and not in my outline, uh, but I just want to tell you, and it's based upon really the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3, but Jesus through the cross came to redeem the power of choice. He said, prior to this moment, you've been judged by darkness, people of darkness who live in darkness. But he says, I want you to know that the light has come, the light shines, and you can choose light and leave darkness in a moment. You can do that. Now, let's just keep going on ahead. Uh, if God is the one, and here's the principle. I don't know if you still have these call outs from last week, Amanda. If God is the one doing this judgment, it does, by the way, in the typical teaching on generational curses, we're walked through a prayer process to bind it, curse it, do all of that. But beloved, please hear me. If it is God who has spoken it into existence by the lips of God, it does no good to bind it, curse it, or do whatever, because you're fighting with the God who has forever set in motion the fact that you're going to live under the shadow of the curse of the failings of those who have come before you. But the good news is that is not true. There's some here this morning that are going to be challenged in your thinking because you've taken a posture and an attitude. Watch this, even down to, to jobs that you won't apply for. Well, my family never did that. You know, I, I, we just did, we didn't do, anybody know what I'm talking about? We won't look to it because we so fixed who I am and what I'll be based on my past. And what I'm about to say isn't in your notes either, but every person hear my voice. The reason why Paul and the writers of the New Testament focus so much on conviction, everybody say conviction, versus condemnation, go and read the definitions. Condemnation fixes my identity in my past and failure and the flesh. Those are the words associated with condemnation. Failure, my past, and the flesh. But conviction from John 15, 16, and Hebrews 6 tells us that conviction is a work of the Spirit, capital S, and it has to do with promise and my future. And that's the difference, beloved. Well, people will say a, a brother or sister comes up to you and, and says, Drew, I saw that nasty look that you, you gave to Jess. He didn't do this. I'm just picking on Drew. Jess is his wife. And, and I, I, I watched the way you looked and just that attitude, son. And I want you to know that there is more in you as a spirit-filled husband of God. 
than just to react to a situation with that kind of disdain. Now, he could look at me and say, you're condemning me. But see, I'm not. I am hoping to be a voice of conviction. You see, because conviction calls us forward from our pain according to promise and the empowerment of the Spirit. Can I say that again? Conviction calls us forward from the pain of our failures based upon promise and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So there's always going to be more in you than what, more in me, more in you than what we found. Condemnation says, I can't believe you'd do that. You're a sorry dog, and I guess that's just who you are. That is not who he are. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Beloved, we're those who live by conviction, not condemnation. Condemnation says I'm cursed with a curse. That's the way my family's always been. I come from a family of divorced people, so I'm going to be divorced. I come from a family of addicted alcoholic people, so I'm going to be an addict or an alcoholic. I come from a, a, a family that's had historically racist dispositions and a horrible attitude, so I guess I'm going to be a racist. No, sir. Everything changed the day you became adopted and born again by a holy father who said, your ethnicity is now holy. Everything changes. Oh my. New Hope is and will forever be a place of deliverance and transformation. A place where we can encounter God. And that's where we're going to end up and I'm going to do best not to hijack my own sermon right now. Let me see where I left off. Oh, okay. Here's a fun one that will, I think, by the way. I want to introduce a phrase that's called transgenerational. I know it's a long word. I just don't have a better phrase. Transgenerational accountability. Now, by that, what I'm saying is, I love what one commentator wrote. He said, the Ten Commandments, the statement in the Ten Commandments had originally been intended, and there's this word proleptic, which means to speak about the future right now, okay, which had been intended as a sort of forecasted warning to the adults to guard their conduct because of the implications for the actions of their chil- on the actions of their children, the implications of their actions on their children. Watch this. See, there's two sides of the, and, and again, not in my outline here today. God is calling us, hmm, how can I say this? I want to present my children with a faith that is free from the obstacles I fought with. Anybody get what I'm saying? I want to present my children with a faith. I don't want to live a life of faith that gives them more obstacles to climb over. See, here's the thing. And you say, bro, you don't know my past. I wasn't born again until I was 35 and more stuff with my kids. That's great. It really is. It's okay. Because you see, God is still the God who redeems, reconciles, and restores. Matter of fact, let me give you another verse of scripture that uh, actually I did think I text, tested, uh, texted you, Amanda. Isaiah 61, 4. If you've been around here any time at all, you know Isaiah 61 is one of my absolute favorite passages of scripture. All 11 verses paint this wonderful redemptive pathway, sequence, and promise that Jesus Christ said he came to fulfill because he quotes verse 1 when he stands up, comes out of the wilderness and stands up in the synagogue, opens the Bible, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to declare liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, the favorable year of our Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, a mantle of praise for the spirit of heaviness, so that they may be called oaks 
of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then comes verse four, watch. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. That word means the days of our father. The phrase means a time not in the mind of those living today. You see, that first line refers to things that were done to you in the days of your father. How many know we got garbage back here that's been done to us? Everybody say done to me. The next verse, the language and the, actually the grammar, when you break it down, they will raise up former devastations. I, I, I love that. That refers, and I don't have time to develop it, to the things done by me. Okay? The things done by me. Line one is the things done to me, the things done by me, and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. That becomes the things done through me. See, because here, everybody watch me. When I become so convinced that what has happened to me, either done to me by someone else or by me by my own choice, when I become convinced that that defines the substance of who I am, then brokenness and devastation flow through me. I just need to hang here for a moment and you need to get that. You see, because there have been things done to me, to me, to you. You know my testimony. And I've, I've told it a thousand times in 20 years. That they were being molested and told you're damaged and broken goods. Don't tell your parents what's happened to you, little boy, nine years old, or they'll put you in a mental institution. And, and how many know those kind of things? James says that words set on fire a course of life. Matter of fact, you don't have to bow your head and close your eyes. There's a moment of deliverance here right now. Anybody here besides me in this place that when I said those words, you say, oh, bro, there's been some things, but just put your hand up right now. Join me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I wish I could walk to every one of them in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name, now I'm about to shout and I'm about to shout loud on purpose for the same reason Jesus, I believe, shouted loud and on purpose when they challenged a woman who came in and poured out an alabaster box. And here it came because now I'm not screaming at you with an uplifted voice. I'm about to scream at the force of hell about that echo from your past, the things done to you by others in your ancient of days that are subconscious mechanism that you always wonder why it triggers, why when you counter that, it hits, because there's been things done by you where you don't remember a time not in the mind of those living today. It's not even a conscious recollection. It's stuff going on back by here, and time after time, you run into it. You crash and burn, whether it's anger, pornography, whatever it may be, racism, injustice of some sort, and it seems to hide you, but there comes a moment where we can step up as did the Son of God and say, I'm a child of God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to claim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Father, you shut the voice of the days of the past and the echo of a subconscious. We're children of God. In the name of Jesus, deliverance here right now in Jesus' name. Everybody shout praise God right there. They will raise up the former devastations. Watch this. They will raise up the former devastations. Those are the things, again, developing it really is an act of responsibility, an act of judgment that comes against us. Things done by me. There are things. If I ask you to remember, what's that most stupid thing you did that when you think about it, you wince and shake your head? Father, set them free in the name of the living God today. No longer will that declaration echoing in and through them be that. 
and the things done through me. Why? The desolations of many generations. Do you see the word ruined cities? Watch this. <laughs> the word ruined means a dry, hot, desolate place incapable of supporting life, growth, or vegetation. That's what the Hebrew word means. Here's what happens. When we live by the first two, what's been done to me, what's been done by me, and those are the dictating voices, watch. Did you know that we are a presence of drought? We live reaffirming, ain't nothing can grow here. We fight with our faith. But for those who will dare to say, I don't care what happened in the ancient ruins in the days of my father. I don't care what it is that I did consciously, fully aware. You said there will come a moment where you will reign. The word repair means to renew, make fresh, reign on it. See, you think there's places in your life, watch, watch me, based upon number one and number two that have created spaces. Listen to me. Oh, my. Where nothing can grow there. It has a sign posted on it. It was so wrong, so bad, so unjust that you can never forgive it. You can never release it. You can never do it. And you got a little marked out place in your soul that says no trespassing, dead zone. Father, I pray that you would shatter that today in the name of the living God. But you promised, promised to be the God of the former rain and the latter rain. The God who would open up the heavens of the rain of the Holy Spirit and rain on souls that are broken, dry, thirsty, where nothing is grown. You promised right here in this scripture, I don't care what's been done to you. I don't care about what's been done by you. It will not dictate what can come through you in the name of the living God. I will rain on your soul. I will rain and make you a veritable garden of the spirit fruit of God, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You are the garden of God, full of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the living God. We need to just give God praise right there. Woo! Dang, Pastor, that is good stuff. Okay. Here we go. Ezekiel chapter 18. A lot of scripture. I'm going to try to skip ahead. Here we go. Ezekiel 18. One of the prophets speaking, he says, we've got a problem this generation. Watch. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you mean by using this proverb, proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers eat sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. Verse two means because of what the fathers have done, there's no way but leaving a bitter taste in my mouth. Now, it was a euphemistic way of saying the sins of the fathers are visited on the third and fourth generation. Every scholar and theologian will agree with that. Let's see what he says after that. As I live, <laughs> don't you like that? That the living God says, as I live. So it's, it's sort of one of those funny statements. I am the living God who cannot ever be dead. So as I live and I am the living God and anything that has life, I gave it to it. Declares the Lord, you shall surely not use this proverb in Israel anymore. <gasps> Oh, my goodness. He says, shut your mouth. There's our T-shirt. Okay? <laughs> we just need to read it. We need to have it printed backwards on our shirt. So when we stand in front of the mirror every morning. Yeah. Because the first person we need to talk to is me. Okay? <laughs> Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The Son, soul who sins will die. Watch this. He offers three scenarios. I'm not going to read them all at length. because. Uh, but if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness, 
He does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols or the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during menstrual period. If a man does not oppress anyone if he restore, but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing, he does not lend money on interest. He has this litany of things that says if there's a father that's a good guy, he doesn't shoplift at Walmart, he doesn't give bad hand gestures in traffic despite the, how bad it is at Sevierville in 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He doesn't say mean things. He doesn't rip people off or, or try to take advantage at every turn. And, and, he, and he has the same list, and he quotes it three times. But he said, uh, he doesn't do all of those things. Verse 9, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord. Now, the audience who would have been listening said, yeah, well, we get that. Okay. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood, who, doesn't, who does any of these things to a brother, though he himself did not uh, do any of things, that is the father, that is, he even eats at the mountain shrine, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the pool, shoplifts at Walmart, rips people off, cheats on his income tax. I mean, all these things are listed. And then he gets down there and he says, now behold, uh, and he says, um, verse 13, uh, he will not live. He has committed all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. It's like, okay, well, we get that too. Well, here's the problem one for them. Now behold, he has a son. We're at the third generation, right? Okay. He has a son who has observed all of his father's sins, which he committed, but observing he does not do likewise. Now behold, he has a, uh, excuse me, he does not eat at the mountain shrines. He doesn't shoplift at Walmart. He doesn't chase his neighbor's wife. He doesn't cheat on his income tax. Okay. All that's all that list is there again. And when he gets to the end of it and it says, uh, uh, he says, my statutes, in verse 17, watch, it does not take interest or increase, but ex- executes my ordinances, walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he'll die for his iniquity. Verse 19, watch the reaction of the people, because the prophet, speaking the words of God, is addressing the attitudinal disposition of the people of Israel. Watch. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment of the father's iniquity? See, they're still saying this thing. But, but, but God, you, you said that, that the third and fourth generation, again, God was giving a transgenerational warning about fathers creating obstacles for their children and their children's children. And he says this, be aware your actions of your sin will be visited upon the children as additional obstacles they have to overcome. But if you're a people of promise and have any sense, you don't need to do that. We can reverse that today. There are people sitting here today that can give you testimony of the sins of the fathers. I'm one of them that are visited upon the children. But I got to tell you, as I've said before, there's two times in the book of Isaiah One time, God says, don't call to mind the former things. I think that's in chapter 43. But then about eight chapters later, he says, call to mind the former things. Watch. I am God implied your father. I've said this to you before. Hear me. When God says, wait wait a minute, call to mind the former things or not? Here's what. God says, as you start looking back across your timeline, 
He says, and there's all these personal failures or the actions of your family or whatever. He says, don't call to mind those former things I've redeemed you from. But then a little bit later, he says, I want you to call to mind the former things. And you say, but bro, just five chapters earlier, you told me not to do that. But here's what he says. Call to mind the former things, comma, I am the Lord your God. And by implication, your father. So here's why I want to adapt that. When you call to mind the former things and say, but what my dad did or granddad did and all of that, God tells us something that he reiterates in Ephesians 1. Watch. He says, the problem is, if you're going to look back, make sure you look back far enough. Here's what I mean. There's a father, blessed be the father, father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, who has blessed us in the heavenlies before the foundation of the world. Watch this. God says, yeah, your dad may have done this and been an alcoholic and abused you, hurt you, said things, done it, and his granddad may have done that to him, and he had the proclivity to do the same thing, and he poured it out on you. He says, but what I don't, I don't want you to look back to this father and that father. He said, I want you to look all the way back, and I know I'm in the dark, and you can't pick me up on the camera. I want you to look back to the first father, the father of all time and space, the father who spoke over you concerning. So if you're going to look back, don't just look back there, look back there, look all the way back to say there is one voice beyond these broken voices that says, I am the Lord, your God. I am the father of the Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. I am your father in the heavenly places. I called you to pray to me and call me father. So if you're going to look back, don't stop with just looking back right there. Look all the way back to the first father who first claimed you as your child and spoke concerning you. Give the Lord praise right there. That's a curse breaker. Oh, my goodness. Jeremiah 31. Let me grab two or three verses from there. Verse 27. Here we go. This is the last one, I think. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel, and the house of Judah will be the seed of man and and with the seed of beast. And let's keep going. As I've watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow. In other words, you've done things wrong, you've paid the price. In those days, they will not say the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Verse 29. I want to read verse, reread it. In, for, in those days, they will not say again the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Everybody say, in those days. In those days. What are those days? I'm glad you asked. Verse 33. But actually, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant. What days are he talking about? Remember he said, in the days. Verse 33, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law in them and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God and they will be my people. Let's fast forward if you will because this language is the language that directly informs 2 Corinthians chapter 3 about the Word of God written on our heart. Now remember where it originates. Jeremiah says, your fathers have done crazy stuff and they've paid the price, but I want to let you know, you won't be able to say, because my dad did it, I'm set on this motion of fixed outcome and I have no choice. He says, why? Because the days are coming when the Spirit of God won't be written on tablets of stone or scrolls. The day's coming when it's going to be written on your heart. Watch this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, you are our letter. 
Paul's writing to the Corinthian people, but watch the shift written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. He is broadly pointing back to Jeremiah's promise. Watch, not on tablets of stone, but written on tablets of human hearts, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Verse 15, same chapter. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What he says, by my spirit, I'm going to write it on your heart. Where the Lord, the Lord is spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding in a mirror uh, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. Beloved, here's the principle. Transformation says what God can do now. Do we have this cue, Amanda? I want you to read this with me um, twice. You ready? Let's read it together. Transformation says what God can do now presently is greater than what anyone has done in your past. Would you read that with me again? God says, transformation says what God can do now presently is greater than what anyone has done in your past. Beloved, we are new covenant believers. Can I tell you, my granddad, his dad, my father, They've done dumb things. I'm sure I've done some dumb things that my children uh, don't need to replicate. But here's the wonderful grace that I call on and hope for. That there's an ultimate father they can run to and it doesn't make any difference what they did in the past. God said, I've pushed the the reset button for you, Tom. I've pushed the reset button for you. Now let's live this life out. Walk by covenant. Because there's a greater father who spoke over you before your most recent father did. There's a father who who spoke over you that said, I'm going to write these words on your heart, not just on your subconscious. And when I begin to write this word on your heart, I don't care what any other word has been spoken. I'm going to overwrite whatever's been spoken by my glory, transform you. Nobody has the final word but me. Praise God right there. Come on. Whew. The last thing I, that I have here is Oh, I, I, won't, I won't bug you with the scripture, but it's from Hebrews chapter 10. And it's this principle. Transformation is predicated on mercy. Why? Here's where it went. Well, I'm going to read it to you anyways. Hebrews 10. And the Holy Spirit testifies to us. The Holy Spirit. The one in us doing the writing. You, anybody, anybody aware that there's a scribe built in you now? The Holy Spirit takes up residence. As far as I understand, he's got a primary task every day is getting up and overriding the broken code of your heart. See, we're all encoded with sin and darkness, John chapter 3 says. But there's a Holy Spirit overriding us with conviction, light, and promise. Overriding every day. Overriding. Isn't that cool? I love that, okay? Hebrews, and the Holy Spirit also testifies for us after saying, This is the covenant, he repeats Jeremiah, that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law upon their heart and in their mind, uh, I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, if you read the passages in, in Hebrews, it repeats again and again, a mercy seat. 
Now, here's the thing I'd like to tell you. Come on up, Dan. Worship team, Pastor Rhea, everybody. The working definition of mercy here is the force of God's love. Listen, you've heard it a thousand times. Refusing to join me in any opinion of me above his opinion of me. Watch. Even including my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather or anything or myself. Mercy keeps the door open for transformation. He said it over and over. Every time he said it's going to be visited, he said, but I'm a God. Wait, 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 wait. I'm a God of loving kindness, compassion, slow to anger. (laughs) You see, we have a God who's far more interested in mercy than judgment. It is mercy that sets us free. James chapter 2, verse 13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Is it not amazing that God took the mercy seat to approach the throne that was once a throne of judgment, but mercy transforms the throne of God from a throne of holy judgment to a throne of animating grace? That's Bible. That's straight up Bible right there. And I want to say to anybody here today, two or three things. You say, you don't understand the history of my family. Can I just say this? very graciously. When I say I don't care, I do care. But I don't care in terms of acknowledging it as the final word. I want to see that broken off you. As a matter of fact, come on and stand up. Brenda, would you come up here, please, and get you to help me in just a minute. That this morning, this morning as we come here right now, there's some that need to realize that mercy has triumphed over judgment. That there's a God that's shown up and said, I don't care what your father spoke over you, your grandfather. We have people standing here that have been physically, sexually molested by members of their family. Horrible things have been said. And they have etched things on your heart. Words set on fire a course of life. And it has encoded you towards the disposition of negativity, failure, whatever it may be, limit But there's a God that says, I am the Holy Spirit, and I've come to overwrite (laughs) the disk. Think in computer terms. I've come to overwrite. There's a phrase called hard um, destructive delete in computer language. See, because most of the time when you reuse a spot of, of the hard drive, it just overwrites what's there. But you see, we serve a Savior who came to destroy the works of sin. There's some of you standing here this morning that you need a destructive delete on a code that's been written on your soul where you constantly see yourself as less than God's promise. And I'm praying for the force of the cross that destroyed the work of the adversary and destroyed the work of the destroyer would do a destructive delete on your soul this morning and not just overwrite it, but obliterate it and write words so that no other word can be found. Oh my goodness. To where when you visit your own heart, John would write, even when my own heart condemns me, you're greater than my heart. Woo! Come on, somebody. There's a God wanting to do that right here, right now, today. Every week I get to ask my favorite prayer warrior to come up and pray and close and speak to you. And that's very much on purpose. And while she's doing that, functionally, I'm supposed to be making my way back there to meet those of you who are here the first time. I miss it about half the time because I'm so sucked into what's happening here, but I will make it back there today. 
I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, get ready to pray. Get ready right now. Come on, do that right now. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.